0: Hi, and welcome to Forest of the Future, the series where we look into how innovation and FSC can help save our forests. We all know that forests play a key role in combating climate change and the biodiversity crisis that we're facing. And in this series, we explore how innovation, especially within tech tools, but also more broadly, can help us protect our forests and support the mission of FSC, which is to ensure responsible management of our forests worldwide. Now, today we're going to do a bit of an experiment. This episode is called Inside Out, and it is because I will actually not be doing the interviewing this time around. So normally you're used to me asking the questions and then somebody else giving the answers. Today, we're turning that around because besides doing these podcasts, I am also actually just a staff member of FSC. I've worked for FSC for more than 18 years. And the stuff that I do is really focused on moving supply chains, engaging in industries, and progressing them in a more sustainable direction. Today, I get to talk to you about some of the work that I do. More specifically, the work that I do in the fashion industry. Because this episode takes us to Copenhagen, where FSC participated in one of the biggest events in the fashion industry, the Global Fashion Summit. This whole event is focusing on how the sector can move from being a very high carbon footprint one into being a neutral one or maybe even a positive one. We're engaging there because we're hoping to learn how not just this industry but also other industries might transition easier and faster towards meeting the Paris Climate Agreement. We call this episode Inside Out because we've turned the tables, but we also called it fashion inside out because we want to make you think about when you turn your clothes inside out, the label comes out and that label tells you a lot about the garment. We want to help make all of that invisible stuff in the fashion industry, all of that nitty-gritty, a lot more visible. And with no further ado, I will hand over the mic to Eva Hemanovich, who is my colleague from FSC Europe and who was also a co-organizer with me, along with FSC's value chain development team, on our participation in the Global Fashion Summit. So take it away, Eva.
1: Welcome to the podcast, Loa. And I'm really pleased to have you here today and to talk about the Global Fashion Summit. I know you have been working on this topic for several years now. So I'm really thrilled to be talking to you today and discussing this exciting and innovative topic for us. So, at first glance, Actually, it might be difficult to understand why would FSC consider participating in a fashion event? A very simple question to start with. What do forests and fashion industry have in common? Sure. Thanks, Eva.
0: So I don't think a lot of people realize this. I certainly didn't before I started diving into this field. But forest-based fibers, or what's also called man-made cellulosic fibers, are actually the third most used fiber type in the world, right after cotton and polyester. And what's even more interesting is that it is the fastest growing fiber type in the world. That means that it's the one that's actually starting to pick up on speed in terms of being used just as much as the other fiber types. And that's, of course, fantastic news, because that means that we're transitioning towards fibers that are regenerative and that can come from a sustainable source however we also know that only around half of them actually does come from a sustainable certified source where we know the origin the other half we actually don't really know which forest they come from so that's why fsc would be at a fashion event that's why fsc is hugely involved in the fashion industry and and even growing in our involvement in the industry because we need to make sure that as brands are transitioning towards more forest-based fibers, towards more viscose, towards more rayon and, and modal, that that transition is accompanied by really large demand for sustainable certified fibers. So the transition does not just result in us moving away from fossil fuels, but moving towards deforestation. So that's why we're hugely involved in the fashion industry.
1: Sounds like an important role to play for FSC. It sounds really big and it's global and it's a big chunk of that industry that is mm-hmm. growing. We know that FSC has been very active in the packaging sector, paper, other value chains that are more common and popular. But what about fashion? Has it been active in that industry already for a long time?
0: Yes, So FSC has been working on fashion and and the textile sector but also the rubber sector for a number of years. But we are increasing our investments and our activities in those sectors as we can see the growing interest in them. So I am right now managing a global project that we have that runs across 20 different countries. And that project, it's called Fashion Next FSC. We're really trying to move in a holistic approach towards certification. We're trying to move in a holistic approach towards the fashion industry. That means that we're trying to get interest for FSC inside the sector itself. We're working with the brand. We're working with the industry associations to get them to implement FSC policies. It's good that we're moving towards regenerative fibers FSC certified fibers but in reality what this industry needs to and what we all need to is to move towards circular fibers So stop the pressure on forests by demanding new fibers so the last part of the project is really focusing on what role does FSC have to play in circular textile fibers how can we make sure that we actually have an FSC recycled garment on the market? That's actually one of the key targets for the project, is to make sure that before the project ends, that we actually have a labelled FSC recycled piece of textiles on the market.
1: If you don't mind, I'd like to pick up on something that you said about the recycled label and the recycled aspect of the fashion. So regarding the wood fibre-based textiles. Is it possible to recycle them? And also, I'm very curious to know if it's possible to separate the textiles where some other fibers have been mixed into them, like polyester. Is it possible to separate these textiles in post-production, in the recycling process, and get them back to the value chain?
0: It really depends, actually.
1: (laughs) So that's not an easy answer.
0: As to can we recycle the viscose fibers, can we recycle everything that's wood-based? Yes, we can. It's an innovative technology, and so it's something that's just coming up to a point where it can go to scale. But natural fibers, that means cotton, hemp, viscose, those can be recycled. They can be recycled at varying degrees. And we need to work with the innovators in this field who are just now trying to figure out how can we do that in the most sustainable manner and we're getting to a point where they can go to scale the obstacle is how can we get all of the clothes that we already have into our circulation where we actually get it all back in a state where we can use it because right now it's going to landfill. So we know that by 2025 these systems have to be in place and our role right now as a certification system is to make sure that we actually fit into that, that we are part of that process, that we help as much as we at all can to make sure that it happens and that it happens fast.
1: What I wanted to talk about is also the event itself. So, you know, when a person maybe who has never been to a Global Fashion Summit, when you picture the event in your mind, what you may think of is like a catwalk with famous brands who are showing their latest collection. Is it actually what you saw in Copenhagen at the Global Fashion Summit? Can you tell me a little bit more about the event? Sure.
0: So, yeah, you would imagine that it's a lot of fancy shows, a lot of people who wear all the right stuff. That's not it, not for the Global Fashion Summit. But the event itself is actually more of a conference. Many of the companies and organizations who come there, they choose to use that as a way to announce their latest sustainability measurements or activities through the program. So the content is really focusing on how are we progressing on stage, That's front and center the entire time, it said, we have eight years left. We need to transition as an industry. We have eight years left to do so. How can we learn from each
1: other? How can we inspire each other? So that was what the event was. So I wonder in this event and in this setup with so many brands and retailers and competitors, what did FSC actually bring to the table? First and foremost, we were
0: selected as an organization as one of 31 solutions providers in their innovation forum so the global fashion agenda looks at the landscape in their industry and looks at who can actually bring new solutions to the table who can actually help this industry transition towards sustainable solutions and responsible solutions and then they handpicked the ones that they believed in the most fsc was chosen as one of those so we had a booth there the other track that we had was that we really wanted to put focus on the role of forests in the sustainable transition of the fashion industry. So we organized a media dinner during the summit, which was held at a rooftop in Copenhagen in a greenhouse called Ustakow. It's an amazing place. And we had a dinner there for uh, different media personalities, journalists, influencers who were present at the summit. And then we also handpicked a series of brands who are all meaning business when it comes to sustainable transition and we just joined all of those people together 25 in total in one long table in this greenhouse on the rooftop and just talked about what is it that we need to do the whole intention was to use this as a conversation started to inspire the journalists to inspire the influencers to talk on their channels to consumers about Why do we need to transition? What is the role of forests in this transition? So we weren't looking for direct news articles tomorrow about the event. It was just a conversation started with these different people to inspire them to say, well, why is this important? We had two design professors who really focus on sustainable design and also on how can we transition. We had European Forest Institute. We had big brands like H&M, but we also had a tiny brand like Icebook from Sweden. So what we did was that between every meal, they got five to 10 minutes to stand up and talk from their perspective on what is it that the
1: industry needs to do. Oh, sounds amazing. And I'm really curious to know what got you really most inspired. It's difficult to say
0: what got me most inspired because they were so different. So we had Diana from European Forest Institute who was really talking about the role of forest and why we need to look at forest as a resource and why we can't just say everyone just transition to forest fibers because there won't be enough fibers. So that was really, really interesting. Then we had H&M talk about their role as the elephant in the room. They're doing fast fashion. How can they survive during fast fashion when they look 20 or 30 years ahead and they know they have to transition? The inspiring part of that was actually the honesty of that conversation, because it's very rare that you see companies who acknowledge their role as part of the problem. And who stand up in an audience and say we know we are part of the problem but we also have to be part of the solution so that for me was really inspiring then we had both Elsa Skjall and Kate Fletcher who are both professors so they know their stuff when it comes to design and to material choices and fiber science basically they had two very different approaches towards what does this sustainable transition mean? So Elsa was really coming from a point of view where it was about looking at it from imaginable, where we can actually use our materials smarter, where we actually educate our designers from the outset to make the best possible choices, and where it's also part of the consumer science or consumer conscience that we know that we have to do that. Kate is looking at it from a lens of We have to start using what she calls Earth logic. So right now, everything is finance logic based. Every growth parameter that we have is always looked at from an economic lens. And this was probably what struck me the most during all the different talks we had. Her whole pitch was, well, what if we imagine taking a kaleidoscope and we just spin it just half an inch? And the lens that we're looking at now is not through the finance lens. It's actually through the lens of the world. It's actually through the lens of the earth, the globe, the nature, the people. What if we have this new lens and say, it's not enough that you have a surplus on the economic lens. You have to have a surplus on all of the other parameters as well. If you look at everything you do down to the last thing, like making a cup of coffee, buying a piece of clothes, making it a choice or not whether to make a purchase or not or whether to go on a vacation or not if you look at that through that other lens it has a fundamental impact on every single small choice you make during the day both in your private life and in your professional life and it was quite inspiring to hear her talk about this putting earth first and the whole Earth logic and how fundamentally easy it actually is to get to the point where you do that. But at the same time, it's also so very hard because you have to shift all of your paradigms. That piece from her really sparked a lot of interesting conversations during the the dinner. And then the last, which is always the most difficult part, was David from Icebuck, who's the CEO, who's really trying to transition their whole company from a very much linear approach, from a very much normal business as usual approach to a much more 360 degrees sustainable approach, both when it comes to the environmental, but also the social impact. They're actually implementing Earth Logic, or Earth Logic is basically also the same as a B Corp mentality, and they're implementing it without calling it it. B Corp mentality or without calling it earth logic, they're just doing it as common sense. And he was talking about how liberating it was as a director of a company, as the one who's making the final decisions, how liberating it was to allow yourself to not only look through that financial lens, but also to look at it through the earth logic lens. He gave an example of a recent challenge that they had where they had to to buy some shoes, but if they wanted to make it in time for one of all those big shopping days, like Black Friday, I don't think it was Black Friday, but one of like the big shopping holidays. If they wanted those shoes to make it in time to get there to that sale, that meant that they would have to pressure their workers and get them flown in through air freight. And he had to make the choice. Do we make it to that deadline and actually get those shoes in the stores before so we can make it to that sales period? Or do we make the more sustainable choice, but know that we have to cut our profits because we won't make as big a sale as we projected that we would, because we won't have shoes on the shelves, basically. And his whole point was how liberating it was for that not to be a difficult choice. Because of course he had to wait, because he could not defend those social and environmental impacts that it would have to make sure that those shoes got there in time and that's really inspiring for me at least to hear that we have ceos of companies getting to a point where that's a no-brainer choice i've been in this field for 18 years and that is really a first that we're getting to that point that they allow themselves to look at the wall through that lens and i really hope that i will meet more and more davids in this world basically
1: it's so heartwarming to hear about those examples and know that there are people like David and brands that really adopt the Earth logic in their strategies. I wish we could hear more of examples like that and also highlight them more. The question that comes to my mind is we are talking a lot about the environment and the Earth logic. We need to look at it from the perspective of the Earth, what is good for the Earth. But when we look at the fashion industry, we also have to acknowledge that there are a lot of human rights violations, children working in the fashion industry, working overtime in very bad conditions, people not being paid according to what they do. Like There is slavery that is also uh, present in the fashion industry, especially in Southeast Asia, where a lot of fast fashion brands are located. What is your view on that? And how do you think we can start changing that reality, which is not always coming to the fore when big brands or even fast fashion brands promote themselves and talk about solutions? That mm. is an aspect that is not very often Talked about. Yeah, that's another
0: giant elephant in the room. I think it's important to realize though that when we talk about earth logic or when we talk about a B Corp mentality, social aspects, meaning workers' rights and indigenous people's rights, are an integral part of that. So It's not just looking at environment, it's not just looking at biodiversity, it's also taking all these aspects into concern. And the same goes for FSC. If you choose to FSC label a garment, that means that you actually safeguard workers' rights throughout the entire supply chain. That means that every single factory that this product has passed through has met obligations to forced labor, to children's labor, to freedom of assembly, to freedom of speech, just common sense worker safety as well, protective gear, which chemicals can you actually use, have you been trained in the equipment that you're supposed to be using, what happens in case of an injury, do you have a setup for that, do you have access to medical facilities, all these kind of things that's already integrated into the FSC system and something that we safeguard as a natural part of the FSC system. And it's also a natural part of the B Corp movement and of the whole earth logic mindset. So for me, I often forget to talk about it when I'm talking about what do we have to do, because for me, it's just a common sense, no nonsense kind of thing. It's just something I take for granted that, of course, if you are transitioning as a brand, you have to take that into concern. You have to safeguard that. And that's actually the first thing that you have to do. And then you look at your fibers, then you look at your footprint, then you start DLCA analytics, et cetera. But for me, it's just a gatekeeper. If you don't have all of that managed, then you are not a sustainable brand. And I think we're actually getting to a point where a lot of the brands are looking at it through that mentality as well. We're seeing most of the brands have BSCI or SA 8,000 audits of their supply chains, which means that they are safeguarding workers' rights, that they do have audits out there, that they are implementing fundamental human rights. So not just workers' rights, but also human rights. There's an important distinction there in terms of forced labor, child labor, slave labor, all these kind of things, which are not in the workers' rights, but in the human rights. And all of that is safeguarded. And then you can start building on top of that. Like, do you have right to maternity leave? Do you have right to breastfeed your children? Do you have daycares? All these kinds of things that are safeguarded throughout the FSC system, all these things you can put on top. But that's also why it's so important that brands know what does the certification scheme actually mean and what does it not mean? What does it encompass? What does it not encompass? And that's one of the big challenges that we're facing is that that they will ask for a certification but they actually don't know really what's in it because they don't know the detail of what's in it they also don't know what they don't have in it and that's one of our roles is to really make sure that they do know what's in it
1: thank you very much that was very clear and i think that's an important aspect of yep. the fsc certification and an important aspect of the fashion industry at the same time so Apart from the conversations that you had at the FSC organized two tracks, as you said, the booth and the dinner, what did you find most interesting of, of this event and what ideas do you see worth spreading across other wood value chains at FSC?
0: Sure, so yeah, like you mentioned earlier, fashion is just one value chain we have furniture we have uh, solid timber we have packaging we have a whole range of other industries that we're working across and it's those industries that i've traditionally worked more in and one thing that i think those industries could really learn from the fashion industry is the rapid speed of transition So in the 18 years that I've been in FSC, it's taken probably 10 for the packaging industry to transition, for example. The fashion industry are late to the party, but they're picking up in terms of how fast do they transition. And I think one of the key elements in that speed is how much pre-competitive collaborations we're seeing in that field. How open they are for transparent supply chains how open they are in open source sharing all of their tools when they make a sustainability tool when they make a fiber material choice list or all these kind of things that it's natural for them to make them open source where other industries we would see companies safeguard this as a trade secret because that would give them an upper hand in the competitive field so i think that's really something that i would love to see spread more widely across the entire wood fiber industries another observation and that's probably less inspiring less worth spreading is just how difficult it is for this industry to talk about the biggest elephant in that room all of them are still growth driven all of them are still a lot about how can we make sure that we survive as companies, at least as the same size that we are today. None of them are talking about slowing down the production. None of them are talking about how can we sell less? How can we design less? How can we reinvent our entire business models at scale? So a lot of them are talking about this in, a, in the small corners like, well, we introduced this vintage collection over here and you can come and sell your old stuff, et cetera. But it's never fundamentally, we are shifting our entire business model. We are no longer producing new items. We're only doing take back, we're transitioning to fully circular, et cetera. And we see that the brands were toying with the idea, but I really think we need one or two big ones to just disrupt and say, we're doing this fundamentally different. And once we see that, I think we will see it move at rocket speed. So I really hope that that if we come back next year, that we will see those first brands who are building entire new systems, new ways of having a business, because we need to have a new world. I mean, let's face it, who of us needs eight new collections of clothing every year? We can't even tell the difference ourselves, whether it's from the spring collection or the pre-spring collection or pre-summer or whatever. We don't need that much clothes, so we really need to out the pace of change in that industry in terms of how much do we need to produce and i really hope that we see that if we come back next year i really hope that we will see the e-commerce players who are playing a big big part in this they're pushing for new items so that they can push it out to consumers i really hope that we will see a change in the mentality from them so that there's less pressure on brands to produce and the more inspiring thing from the conference that i saw and that i hope that we will see spreading to other types of industries is really how are we making sure that our fibers can be used in a circular setup so we're seeing new technologies in the textiles industry where they are printing product data onto the fabric itself in an invisible way so that scanners can automatically identify what is this fabric? What is it composed of? How was it chemically treated? What are the applications, etc.? And that can then be used for automated sorting of those fabrics as they come back into this whole collection systems that I was talking about before. So we don't need human hands on it. And that means that we can go to scale much faster. And I can really see how that would be of use in a lot of other industries that we're dealing with, packaging being one, solid wood in the construction sector could be another one. Really trying to think into how can we make sure that that we enable fibers from the outset in a circular setting. That's an idea very much worth spreading and looking into and innovating into.
1: Sounds like science fiction and yet it is coming and it's already there on our doorstep. So it's great yep. to hear that all these innovations are coming in. So just to summarize a little bit more broadly, what are your main takeaways that you'd like to put into practice at FSC from the Global Fashion Summit?
0: So my my main takeaways would be in that area, like how do we reinvent how we get to circular setups? How can we really be smart in the way and in the role that FSC has in terms of enabling circular setups. We need to take pressure of natural fibers. We need to take pressures of the globe. We need to take pressure of the forest. The only way to get to that point is if we're much, much better at circular setups. We have to reuse many more fibers many more times than we do today. So what's our role and how can we be part of that? How can we help reinvent that? So that's one of the main takeaways that I'm really trying to push inside FSC. Another one is really how can we make smarter design choices? Also, when we choose the fabrics, how can we enable brands and designers to make those choices smarter and doing it in a simple way where they don't need a large science education because we give them tools that enable them to stand on the shoulders of the scientists and make those choices and then just a main takeaway which is the same i guess for all sectors is really just a desperate need for information and for solutions that are really hands-on so that they can easily be adopted throughout the sector. So we really need to make sure that we get to a point where, for example, if you look at a a, at a supply chain, and it doesn't really matter which industry you're in. They're all, for example, looking for data. They're all looking for smart material choices. But we need to standardize those data sets. We need to standardize what it is that we ask for so that we make sure that we can get the information faster, but also that we make sure that if you're the last link in that supply chain, if you are the producer of those clothes and you have 15 different brands that you don't have 15 different brands asking you for 15 different, but similar sets of information and that in itself gives you a massive workload. So how can we make sure that we make really simple hands-on solutions that can be adopted into all of the, the systems of choice of the different brands, but that are fundamentally standardized, just like we've seen it happen in the food industry and in other industries that are much more standardized than, than the industries we operate in. So really looking at how to have this worked in other sectors and how can we make sure that it works in this sector as well.
1: Amazing. Thank you for this. So just to end this conversation, I'd like to go a little bit into the future mm-hmm. and talk about... What are your hopes and what is the big thing that you would like to see in the future? So where do you hope to bring the fashion industry with your work over the next years? So I really hope that within
0: the next couple of years, all of our hard work in value chain development, so all of those 20 countries that I talked about, that that means that we have fully certified supply chains to FSC. So that if you are a brand and you want to transition to more man-made cellulosic fibers, meaning more viscose, more rayon, more modal, that it's very easy for you to do that because all of the suppliers are already certified, all of the producers are already certified. If you want to start using FSC certified natural rubber for your shoes or for your bags or you want to start using cork, that it's easy to do that. So that's the first part. And that's probably the easy part because that's the stuff that we've been doing for almost 30 years. So, so that's what we know how to do. And that's just getting the boots on the ground, getting those companies certified. But before we get to that step, I really hope also that we are as an organization, but also the brands get much more knowledgeable about what can different certification schemes help them achieve And what can they not? So a large piece of of the last six months in my work has been looking at different certification schemes and seeing what does each of them actually cover? How are they comparable? How are they not comparable? And the next step is then to help bring that information into the industry itself so that it's much easier when you are a designer, when you are a quality manager inside a company if you are working with sustainability inside a textiles brand, for example it's much easier for you to navigate well what does it mean if you get a got certified piece of cotton, for example. What does it mean if you get an FSC certified viscose fiber? What does it mean if a producer has an SA8000 certification? What does that actually give you? Which kind of information does that give you? Which kind of security does that give you in terms of conditions? And how has that fiber been handled? And what does it not give you so that you can make sure that you cover all of your bases, basically? So I'm really hoping that we will get to a point where that's just common sense knowledge. Then, of course, My baby, the circular label products, they have to be a reality of this whole project. So that, of course, I'm hoping that if you call me up in a couple of years, I can show you that piece of fabric. Hopefully I'm wearing it, but we really need to get to that stage. We really need to enable those circular setups. And the only way that we can get there is through my last hope that I really hope that we can help spark, which is just a joint collaboration across and large levels of interoperable systems where data just flows. and where data does not become a hindering for things to move forward. So I'm really hoping that we can do our bit in terms of making that a reality and do our bit and work with ISIL and other initiatives to really transition towards the standardized data sets. That's my big hope for this industry, and I'm quite sure we will get there. And then, of course, I hope that we will see more than a 100 brands having joined our Fashion Forever Green Pact, which is an initiative that we've created where brands can openly commit to wanting to source certified fibers, where they openly commit to the Canopy Style Guide, which is basically ensuring that they don't have endangered or ancient forests as part of their supply chain, and where they commit to help us put those FSC certified labeled products on the market so that we can make sure that it's easy for consumers to navigate. I'm hoping to see a lot of brands join that movement and by joining the movement, get access to all of our support and moving them from A to B.
1: Thank you, Noah. It was so great to talk to you. Thank you for sharing your lessons learned and reflections from the Global Fashion Summit. So thank you very much for these inspiring thoughts. And looking forward to the next year Global Fashion Summit and how the whole situation and the fashion industry evolves into something that is even better than today. Thanks. Looking forward to it too.
0: That's it. I hope that you got to know a bit more about what it is that I do in my day job, but also just how inspiring the fashion industry is, how much we can actually do to make a transition, how positive outlooks there are for a transition in time, but also just how difficult it will be, how much work it will be, and how FSC can help make that transition happen in time. That was it for now. If you want to follow our work, if you want to be notified whenever a new episode comes out, I strongly encourage you to join our LinkedIn group. It's called FSC Digital Innovations and it's open for everyone. You can also always get a hold of me on digitalinput at fsc.org. I am Loa Wern, and this was Forest for the Future.